You are listening to Revealing Real Estate Podcast, where we dive into getting over your fear of taking risk in real estate and making money while you sleep. I'm Nico Pedizano, your host and real estate guru with over 20 years of experience. It's time to get real. Wow, we're going to have a fabulous show today. I'm so excited for our next guest. This is this is something that I've been trying to get these group of individuals to come out and really talk about their story because it's an inspiring story to understand where these individuals came from. I I seen these guys from the beginning of when they first started out their business to where they are today and where they're going in the future. A lot of things I talk about, especially for those that have not started buying real estate or investing into real estate yet, having these group of guys is really going to make people understand that if you're under 30 years old right now, that there is potential to go out there and to really achieve your dreams and if you truly aspire to attain those dreams and build a business even around real estate having these guys on the show i think truly will make you guys understand and open some doors and really see what's available for you guys and i want to welcome these group of individuals it's slg capital where we got i guess the sal is the s in the in the name and then luca is the l in the name and g is the giacomo in the name so we got luca sal and giacomo welcome to the show guys Thanks for having Thanks us. Thanks for having us, Nick. No problem. No problem. It's been a pleasure. It's been long overdue to get you guys on. I really want you guys on the show a lot earlier because for those that don't or never heard of SLG Capital, these guys run a multitude of different businesses out there. I think their main business where they started out, guys, correct me if I'm wrong, you guys started out in the wholesale business and then kind of built that up to as well. Now you guys are landlords and hold your own kind of investment properties that you currently rent out. You guys are now as well contracting and flipping your own property. So you guys do a lot of fix and flips. You guys do a lot of, you know, burrs as well. We discussed a lot. So you guys got a lot of moving parts to your business. You guys have grown your business now to a team of, I know it's you guys as three main partners in on the business as well, but now you have a full call center, sales team, and that all happened and grew pretty substantial and pretty fast. I think within the past couple of years, if I'm not mistaken, you guys are moving pretty quick. So I really want to first talk about kind of the past and you guys were all in different fields and maybe Luke, I can start with you. Prior to SOG, where did you start out in the business? So I was working at RBC just in ETFs, like similar to mutual funds, you know, typical nine to five corporate job, you're at a cubicle all day. And I think that's what we were always encouraged to do, especially like I went to business school, same as Sal, uh, Chulik, and it was, you know, finish your degree, get a job, work up the corporate ladder. And then, you know, one year, two years into it, I think collectively, luckily being with like-minded individuals like Jack and Sal, we kind of realized together that we had greater ambitions, not only to achieve success, but also to have the freedom. And I think working a nine to five job, I didn't envision that getting me there. And, you know, that just kind of led to me together, us trying to figure out what else can we do? We always had a bit of a passion for real estate. Giacomo and I bought a condo in 2014, just rented it out in Toronto. And I think Sal also bought one. So we had a little bit of a taste for it and kind of went into, you know, separate fields. And then, you know, luckily, and, you know, I'm grateful, we kind of brought it back together and, you know, went full force into real estate. And Sal, how did you end up? What were you doing for? <clears throat> Same thing. So I met Luca Schulich. And then through Luca, I met uh, Giacomo. They were best friends. Yeah. So, yeah, we were at Schulich and then went to go work a, a finance job. But I was kind of in the real estate field, too. I worked in a real estate finance for a pension fund. And so we were financing large development projects all throughout 
Canada and the US. Through that job, I kind of realized I was dealing with a lot of developers and I saw how much money they were making and how well <laughs> they were doing. And I realized that they never worked for someone else. They always worked for themselves. And so that's where kind of the discussion started. And me and Lucas started always talking. We used to work both downtown and we would, you know, meet up and talk, say, how can we get out of our, our corporate jobs? How can we do something full time? Yeah. And I respect that. And a lot of it is, and you start to realize is a lot of the wealth was built. And, and a lot of things that I discussed on the show is majority of their wealth was actually built all through their real estate or their real estate purchases that they've got to either, you know, develop it or sit and hold on them and, and build that equity throughout the years. Right. So it makes you kind of aspire to not want to, how can I put this, uh, work for somebody else and make somebody else rich and yeah. do your own thing, right? And yeah. and that's, I, I think, where it comes from more or less internally with inside you. And I think most entrepreneurs have that built in, right? It's not something that you can teach. It's either you have that inside and that's what you want to aspire to do or you don't, right? And I think that's just something that's built in within you guys. Giacomo, let's go with you. So I know you got your real estate agent. That's where we met. For those that don't know, which I'm sure majority do, Giacomo is also a registered real estate agent with the OP team. Yep. Right? So you ended up getting your real estate license because I met these two. Through me. Smart individuals through you. Yeah. Right? So. Yeah. So prior to when I got my license, I was self-employed. I was actually sharpening. Um, so. You're sharpening knives, know, yeah. Yeah. People don't know uh, who, what that is. Uh, I had a truck. I was basically going through uh, the streets of, you know, different cities, Toronto, Kitchener, Hamilton, ringing a bell 12 hours a day you know, sharpening people's tools, lawnmowers, knives. And, you know, it was, uh, they were really long days. I was working 12 hour a day. It was exhausting. So it came to a point where I realized that my time was useful elsewhere and I didn't need to work these 12 hour days to make X amount of money. And, you know, I had to sacrifice a lot like during those work hours to get where we are now. But, you know, it taught me a lot, it taught me about sales, taught me about hard work and those applications, you know, I'm happy to say that we're, I was able to apply them to the business we're in now. Yeah, because sales are sales. Like, and I yeah. expressed this many times before, I used to sell veal sandwiches for a living, right? And selling a veal sandwich, believe it or not, or selling a house, for me, there's a lot of similarities into it, believe it or not, because it's not the sandwich that I'm selling. No, you're basically I'm, selling yourself. I'm selling myself, the relationships, yeah. to have people to want to come in to, trust to my you. truck, to trust me and buy my food, to exactly. say, hey, I, this guy is honest, I do like him, I want to buy from this guy, and I know I'm going to get good products regardless because of who he is as a person. Yeah, And I think there's a lot in sales, and that's what's built inside, but I think you have that internal entrepreneurial spirit within within yourself that allows you to kind of build your success to where you are today and where you're going to be going in the future. And I think the biggest part of this story is, and I want people to really get this, it's the fact that you guys are really, you're part of the millennial generation. You guys have now built a really strong, successful business that's flourishing. It takes a lot for somebody at your age to actually aspire to do what you guys have done. And I don't know if you guys have actually taken the time to really sit back and understand that, there's not many individuals that have not come from wealth. And this is important. You guys have built this from scratch. And people understand that you guys were just part of hardworking families, middle-class families that needed to go to work and make money. So you weren't given this on a silver platter and say, hey, here's a couple million dollars. Go do what you got to go do with it and go invest it. This is something that you guys have actually started to earn from the very beginning of your time when you guys came together as a group. Yeah. And that's the biggest part of my story that I want to share with everybody is because I want them to understand that if you aspire to have your dreams and your goals and you have ambitions to go out there and to become successful, 
you really don't need money to start. You know, you do. You had to save, and I'm sure you guys collectively have come to save together. But how creative did you come, you know, towards building and learning how to raise money and figuring out ways to start your wholesale business? Because it started with the wholesale business, if I'm not mistaken. I'd say just before the wholesale business, which kind of sparked our interest more in real estate, he touched on it a little bit. We bought our condos, just easy cash flow rentals. But after that, we, we decided to buy a flip. And that was our first kind of learning process in real estate. So yeah. you bought the flip through another wholesaler? No, oh, through no. a real estate agent. We bought it through the MLS. Oh, you bought it through yeah. the MLS. Yeah, and this was back in 2018. 18, yeah. 2018. So yeah, we found a flip on the MLS. We used a realtor that honestly wasn't that experienced in, in finding flips and finding good profitable properties. Yeah. We didn't we, know Nick yet, unfortunately. We didn't yeah. Know Nick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a dozen here, buddy. <laughs> but yeah, so, so I'm yeah, glad we, we started we, with that yeah. one, and we basically put a bunch of sweat equity into it. Giacomo was still sharpening. We were still working our full time jobs, and because he had more of the flexibility, Giacomo was able to go and manage the trades. So he was there on site doing a lot of the work himself. We were getting our parents to help us do the work. We put in a lot of sweat equity, a lot of work to, to try and make this thing work. Let's go back to that part. Where did you find the down payment for that first? Was it a condo that you guys bought? Or no, it was it a was house a that you guys- It was a condo. Yeah, first a condo. Just as a turnkey rental, didn't do any work to it. So that was 2014, 2015. You didn't sell that condo at that time to do the no, flip? No, no, no. no. That was sold just it a, after. We sold it pretty much when we started the business full yeah. time in 2020. So we held the condos, the let's say for five years. Right, and then where did you find the money to buy this flip? Uh, a lot of saving just saving yeah, yeah. working like we, working summer jobs yeah. working yeah. and we um, also sacrificed a lot like be honest we're not the type of guys to go out every weekend you know go to clubs go to bars go to restaurants so you know those sacrifices of not going out every weekend actually attributes to a lot of savings so you know people who go out all the time if you're looking to uh, move <laughs> up in the ladder you know take a little break from it and uh, you'll see a lot of savings it actually accumulates quite a bit it does. And I think that's a really good point. When you're going through that process, people have to understand that there's going to be sacrifice in everything that we do in life. And I remember when I first started out my business, you know, I made sacrifice in making sure that I didn't have a book of business. I didn't come from wealth. I needed to make sure that whatever I did, it was all about the hustle and the grind for yeah. me. And I would be plugging away from four o'clock in the afternoons all the way until about nine o'clock at night and making sure that I didn't go home because I had Mel's to feed at home and I had a mortgage and I had all that stuff that I had to make sure that, hey, I'm not going home until I have somebody who says, yes, I need to sell my house. Or yes, I'm looking to buy a home, right? That was my objective every single day I started plugging away. And there was a sacrifice to that and making sure that prospecting was always a regimen within my schedule to the point where I am today, where a lot of the business now just kind of flows in and I can, you know, pull myself away from that a little bit, right? I think what I want to start touching in on as well is focusing in on the wholesale side of things, right? Because wholesale... For those that don't know, and I was really new to I didn't really understand the market and the wholesale side until I met you guys. When I started observing what you guys were doing on wholesale, I'm like, well, there is such a, a market out there for this type of product. And for those that don't know, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, wholesaling, we consider wholesaling as a terminology within real estate. It's going out there to find sellers that want to put their house for sale, but not use a real estate agent necessarily to do it because they don't want to go through the process of decluttering their home or getting their homes ready for sale or staging or, or don't have the investment or the money to put into the repairs. Majority of these people are going through situations in a financial strain. They're people that are hoarders. 
maybe somebody who's going through a divorce and it's a nasty divorce and they just want out of the deal. And these are pretty much the individuals that you guys are looking to target through your marketing campaigns, right? So a lot of these people will even sell below the retail or, or MLS valuation of a realtor would put on this price tag, correct? Yeah, that's that's exactly it, right? And that's what we're looking for. We're looking to purchase below market value so that there's some room there for, for profit. And just to kind of give color and, and add to what Sal was saying, um, the reason we stumbled into wholesaling was because when we did that flip in 2018 um, through that realtor that didn't have uh, much uh, real estate investing experience, we, we basically overpaid for that property. And no matter how much we did the work ourselves and tried to save, we couldn't save enough to get to profit. We overpaid on the buy, so we didn't make profit on the sell or, or we made minimal profit, right? And from there, we realized to consistently flip and make profit, you need to make money on the buy. So you need to be purchasing a deal. And when we say a deal, typically you have to buy below market value or you're buying such a distressed property that there's enough value you can add to recoup that profit. We were trying to think like, how do we get a deal? How do we find a deal? How do we buy something below market value? You know, do we have to pick a street that we like and go door knock? And Giacomo was ready because he's, he's used to being on the streets, ringing the bell. He was ready to door knock random neighborhoods. And then Sal stumbled, I think, just through YouTube on, on wholesaling, which is essentially marketing um, directly to sellers. Uh, like you said, that for whatever reason, and the, and the reasons definitely vary, but for whatever reason, they don't, their preference is not to sell on the market. They want to sell directly to a buyer. So Sal kind of stumbled on that. And initially, the, the goal wasn't to wholesale, to flip these contracts, but it was to find properties for ourselves so that we could flip and make a profit, right? And I think we just saw that there, there was so much value there that we could scale it beyond what we were capable of flipping ourselves and actually you know, assign those contracts to other buyers, other investors. Assigning, meaning that you guys, uh, and for the listeners, I'm just trying to say, you know, to, to make them understand what an assignment is on this process. If you tie up a contract or you have a seller who's willing to assign their home yeah. at, at agreed upon price that you guys have set during the course of your meeting, inside your agreement, there will be a condition in there that will allow you to assign the deal to another buyer. So basically what you're doing is transferring paperwork. So if I was interested in buying your wholesale deal, you tie it up with the seller and then sell it to me for a profit, right? So that's the wholesaling process here. So a lot of that business was now finding new clients that wanted to pick up the deal that you got at a discount and then sell it to that person who may be a contractor or an investor who wants to sit and hold on these properties or even sometimes an end user for the most part that wants to move in and move their family inside, which is great. How did you learn how to start finding those wholesales? I think it was just a lot of research online, was looking on YouTube. Reading books and stuff. Reading books, listening to podcasts, and wholesaling is actually a pretty big thing in the U.S. So we were kind of stumbling across it and realizing how do they, their methods work in the U.S. And there were some differences here in Canada and trying to apply those methods in the U.S. to here. Specifically for, in the U.S., they have a lot more data um, for lists. They can send mail to people that are in foreclosure or have a lot of equity or um, have certain problems with their house. As opposed to here, we just kind of have to blast everyone. Right. And so your marketing campaign towards finding people that want to sell at wholesale, can you give us some insight on how that system works on the back end? Yeah, so it's, it's basically a combination of online and offline marketing. Online, the, the typical things, Google ads, 
um, Google SEO. So having a website where people find you organically, running some Facebook ads, retargeting those people on Facebook. The other big portion is the offline marketing, which is basically just direct mail. And we send handwritten letters to people that, um, to areas specifically that we're interested in purchasing. We blast those areas with letters just saying, look, we're interested in buying your house. We can buy your house as is. You won't have to do anything. We'll close on it whenever you want. Um, there's no agents involved, no fees. It's an easy process. If you're interested in selling, give us a call or visit our website. And people reach out to us based on those kind of advertising models. Yeah, and there's nothing misleading about it. It's the truth. You will go in there, and if it's agreed upon price, you're going to buy the house. On a lot of these deals, either you're going to sell them to a prospective buyer who's willing to take that deal or buy that paper from you, or a lot of times you guys buy these homes yourself. Can I ask, being so young, you know, under 30, you know, you don't have a pool of money, you know, in the bank yet at this point in time, and we're talking the very beginning parts of your stage. I remember you guys started to buy your own properties because one, you would do the investment process where you buy it, you retrofit it or, or renovate it, you refinance the deal, and then you repeat once again. Was a lot of that as how you guys started within the business of holding your own properties? And then because now you guys are actually flipping your own, right? You're going in there, you're renovating them, and then some of them you're assigning them. Can you tell me a little bit of your portfolio and how you guys, like, what did you guys start out with? Did you, were you just doing more of the flips before you got into the sit and hold properties? For sure. So like we said, the the first flip, the one that we didn't make too much, we bought on MLS. That one was just from savings, you know, from everybody working multiple jobs through the summer and then maybe a year or so of full-time work. We took that money, rolled it into that flip, sold that flip, and then invested that into the next one. And then fast forward to 2020 is when we all kind of went full-time into the business. Mm -hmm. And at that point, we sold those condos that we had bought five years ago. Obviously, you know, paying down the mortgage, rental income, plus pretty good appreciation. We sold those and then invested that fully into the business. So, you know, call it a few hundred thousand dollars. And that's what kind of started the flips. And a lot of people in the industry will uh, do joint ventures. So bringing a silent partner in order to scale their business, we kind of took a different approach where on the buy, we'll use some of our funds for the down payment plus the renovation money. And then we'll get private financing for the remainder of the purchase price. And then from there, so we did some flips, let's say for a year, year and a half. And then we built up some more capital. And then we decided, you know, long term to really build wealth, you got to own assets, right? You got to start building that rental portfolio. Amazing. And you have that, that residual income, that making money while you're asleep, that rental income, right? So we use that capital. Again, on the purchase, we would get private financing typically because a bank wouldn't finance it because we're buying pretty distressed properties. So if they're not livable, you know, a bank B lender likely not going to finance it. And it's also a lot easier to work with a private lender on the buy. Sometimes, like you said, the sellers are very motivated. They want to close in, let's say two weeks. So you go to a private lender, they're ready to finance that deal. They know it's a good deal. They're ready to finance it in two weeks. So you get the private lending, we do the rentals, raise the value. And then, like you said, the that burst strategy, that ability to, to pull out most of your capital or all of your capital back, that allows you to go buy the next property and you're just, you know, rinse and repeat. And that's how you, you can kind of scale without using a joint venture partner or, or other people's money. Yeah. And that's amazing. It's such a great way to start out. And that's what this show is kind of really based upon. 
is allowing that opportunity for people to understand that if you really sit down with a professional, whether, you know, be myself or another real estate agent and that really understands these opportunities and look from this perspective, like a real estate agent is setting up a proper team around you and having a good real estate agent who's going to be able to provide these opportunities for you is a very crucial component of starting out in any real estate business that you want to start venturing into, right? And I'm sure it's the same way with you guys. Having proper people around you to build your team is a very crucial component of your business, right? Like Giacomo right now, your main role on the team is about the contract work, right? So you're the, you're the main guy that's running the jobs, doing the contracting, pricing them out. You started off going in there as you guys find these opportunities on the wholesale side that you're getting these rundown homes. Once you've taken possession of that property, you're going in there and, and just kind of gutting these houses up. Well, uh, we'll take a look at also comps. We'll see what uh, the area is calling for because, you know, we also don't want to like over renovate. We kind of want to renovate to uh, the area standard, but also make our house kind of stand out in comparison to the last comp that sold. But we never started uh, renovating ourselves. Like initially we were hiring uh, contractors and you know, as we go on, we'll talk about it. But then we just came to the part where we just decided that contracting for ourselves was uh, was a lot better. You having your real estate license, I remember at the very beginning stages, your role on the team was more or less getting your properties. And then once after they were all complete, you would have a contractor that would do the renovations for mm -hmm. you guys. And then you as a real estate agent would be putting them back on the market exactly. right through the team. Yeah. And then Sal, your role, I think, is more of a marketing director's role. Yeah, marketing as well as as we grew the the wholesaling business, it's it's a lot of sales management and, and growing the team. And I think me and Lucas uh, share a lot of that responsibility in terms of the sales management. Um, he focuses more on kind of the financing. I focus more on the uh, on the marketing and uh, and yeah, just kind of that overall. Partners are great. I think if people need to start out having partners coming together like you guys have done where you guys, you know, pooled your money together and started a wonderful, successful business, having partnerships is wonderful. I think a crucial component to that is making sure that you guys are not doing all the same things and individually having your roles within the business that can all get you to the levels that you guys want to attain, right? And yeah. not overstepping those roles, I think, are very important, right? Because a lot of times where I see partnerships not working and the difficulties of it is when you get somebody who's overcompensating for the other person, right? Where that person is always working harder than the other person. And like, you know, and then that other person who's working harder feels that resentment for that person who's not giving the same to the table. For sure. Right? So when you're doing the same roles, a lot of times it's like, okay, well, we're both doing the same thing, but I'm working better at that than you are in your particular situation. I think I like your setup really. And I think that's where partnerships last is that you don't overstep what Giacomo is doing. Giacomo won't overstep what Luca is doing and, yeah. and, and vice versa. You get that real unity within your team. I think that's what makes our partnership flourish too, right? Is we all have our own strengths and we trust each other when it comes to those individual strengths. So no one's overstepping. Yeah. Which is great. When you're going to run a marketing campaign, Right for the wholesale side, because the wholesale side is what's something that 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 really interests me quite a bit. When you're running marketing campaigns for the wholesale side, so we do a lot of direct mail. What's an average flyer run for you guys on direct mail? Uh, an average flyer in terms of what? Monthly spent, I would say. Monthly, monthly spent. spent and numbers wise, how many flyers you probably distribute on a month? If you don't mind uh, sharing it. We're probably distributing over 100,000 flyers a month, I'd say. Then we got Google AdWords. Yeah, that, Google that, Ads, yeah. Which That's is, the second biggest portion. And they kind of play hand in hand because a lot of times people will get our flyer. They'll be like, who's this SLG home buyer? They'll search online and our, the first thing that'll come up is our ad and they'll click on it. 
And so oftentimes we'll, we'll call and we'll talk to these sellers and we'll say, how did you find us? The data shows that they clicked on our ad, but then we, we called them and they say, you know, I, I got your flyer and I reached out to you. That's amazing. And then if I am a client who's interested in selling my house, I'll go online. I see your ad. I register through that process. I remember you guys, and I want people to understand how you guys had to build this. I think it was all three of you guys were working on making those calls and going to see those appointments and trying to close in on that transaction, correct? Yeah, I'd say at the beginning it was, yeah, it was, it was more, me uh, and uh, me and Luca specifically. Uh-huh. And we would we would take that call from the beginning. The minute that lead would come in, we would talk to them, qualify the, the lead, whether it's a good lead. We would book the appointment. We'd go on the appointment together, sign the deal. And then on the wholesale side, we would send out that deal to our list. And one of us would deal with what's called the disposition. We would deal with the buyers on the other end. And people that were interested in the deal, we would negotiate with them to try and sell the contract. And I'd say where Giacomo came in was more when we decided to take down a flip, he would be managing the construction. Even when we had contractors back then, Jack was always there from kind of start to finish to make sure that the contractors are actually doing their work. Yeah, because you still have that aspect of that business that has to run while you guys are still closing on that transaction. You know, everything has to be taken care of. If I'm transacting and making 200 deals a year, I can't be at 200 properties every single year either, right? Exactly. He was focusing on kind of the agent business more back then and also listing our properties when they were finished. Now it's to the point where you've built it up. Somebody's going to call. Somebody's making that call. for. So a lead comes in. Yeah. You have your... We it's call not them us. in our business, it's ISA. It's not you guys anymore. It's not us You've anymore. evolved to that. Yeah, we call it, they're, they're basically inside sales reps or we call them lead intake managers. And uh, we have someone that takes the initial lead, qualifies them as a seller for our business, usually anywhere from a 15 to 20 minute call. And once that lead is qualified, then they are passed off to what we call our home buying specialist. And they book an appointment specifically for him. He goes to the property and he tries to get the, he's the closer. He tries to get the deal signed. Nice. Nice. And how do you choose what properties you guys want to keep or maintain within your portfolio? We always look at, it's a mixture of the area, the type of rentals required, and what's our capacity. So first thing, if let's say we have five flips on the go, you know, Giacomo is, is busy enough already, we might be more inclined to assign it, right? Then the flip side, if we have nothing on the go, you know, we're inclined to, to keep the, the construction team busy, we may want to flip it ourselves. And then a lot of times we'll send it out to our list, to our buyers list, see what we can assign it at. And sometimes for whatever reason, um, the buyers aren't as interested in certain deals where we might see there's more value there and prefer to flip it to maximize the profit. And then in terms of areas, like when we're purchasing rentals to keep long-term, we try to narrow it down to a few areas. Our main two areas would be Sudbury and Welland. Um, Just in terms of, we chose those areas for a combination of um, number one, cash flow, right? Every property has the cash flow so that we're not worried. You know, we're not depending on appreciation to, to receive a return because we don't know. Yes, over the long run, the market's going to go up. But, you know, as we're seeing today, there is those those bumps and in, in waves, right, that the market will go through. So if you have the cash flow, um, you have the tenant in there paying your mortgage, appreciation is just the icing on top. So we try, we're trying to scale in, in a few markets because we find you create more efficiency, right? You're dealing with one property manager in that area. You have trades in that area. It's simpler and easier to scale. So, you know, it's a combination of, like I said, neighborhood, maximizing the profit, 
and our capacity. Another component of your business that we haven't discussed yet is the Airbnb side of things. Now you guys have now grown into getting into some Airbnbs. Myself, personally, I don't have any Airbnbs yet. As you guys know, I've done renovations, you know, I've done buildings, I sell real estate. And now I wanted to start getting some Airbnbs. And I think a lot of it has been inspired through your Airbnb product that you bought. You know, I think I was one of your first guests inside that property. I was yeah. fortunate enough to stay in there, <laughs> <laughs> uh, which I'm like, wow, you know, this is this is pretty cool. You know what I mean? And the hot tub was working and it, it, too bad it was in the winter, but the kids had a blast. We went skiing. It was up in uh, near Horseshoe Valley. Yeah. Is it something that you would continue building on? Yeah, it, it's an interesting business and it's, it's become very popular. But I think there's also a risk there of it becoming oversaturated. Number one, oversaturated. Number two, there's a lot more regulation. Like You're seeing a lot more townships actually banning Airbnb or banning short-term rentals unless it's your principal residence. So basically not accumulating investment properties specifically for short-term rental. And I guess that's, you know, neighbor complaints and also trying to ensure there's enough supply for long-term rentals because obviously that takes away from the, the available stock of rentals. Um, for us, we, we like the property we have because, um, number one, most of these cottages, most people use cottages, right? And a lot of them are only occupied during the summer. So we like our, our area near Horseshoe Valley because there's also skiing there. So whereas most investors will have peak time only in the summer, we have two peak times. We have uh, December, January, February, and then we have all through the summer. Yeah. So when, uh, when I'm looking at a lot of investors' numbers, they're factoring in maybe a 55, 60% occupancy where we're looking at closer to 75. The, the second thing is, you know, when we invest, we're always trying to mitigate risk. And another thing we liked about this particular property was it was set up as two units. So on Airbnb, we currently rent it out as one unit. But let's just say for whatever reason, the, the township decided to ban Airbnb. We're not able to do short-term rental. We can still convert it into a duplex and rent it out top and bottom so that our return doesn't go down too much. So I think there's a place for it. Would we exclusively invest in short-term rentals? I think there's just... Too much risk there, too many eggs in one basket. But can it be a an aspect of your portfolio? I think for sure it can be. I like the income it produces on them, right? I think if I was going to work on something like that, it probably wouldn't be either in Toronto or, or north because in Toronto it's going to be very saturated. Mm -hmm. You know, like you said, you go to municipalities, you know, Barrie, Innisfil, close to the waters and stuff like that. A lot of these townships don't want it no more. There's a lot of petitions going around to, to not allow it to happen. So... You know, if I was going to do it, you know, you sometimes I would look at places like Florida down in the States or the Caribbean islands that are popular, like in Aruba or St. Martin, where, you know, this stuff exists every day where you're, you know, you're more now into the hospitality business and there's management companies that run it all. They take a fee from it all. So I've been looking at something like that. Another thing I've been looking at, which I think is going to be a really, especially in Toronto, which is a big key component is the garden suites or laneway suites. I think that is really going to start taking off. A lot of my custom home builders are are really looking into getting involved in that because I think, you know, adding a dwelling in the rear of the property will only create so much more potential and as well generate revenue and income for you. And I think there's going to be some really wonderful opportunities coming in the next two to three years in regards to that. So if you can get there now and start building on that, I think there's going to be some really good opportunities coming in onto that sector. I want to touch into now, Giacomo, a really big component now is the contracting side of things. You guys are now branching off your business. I want to repeat this, right? Because it, it's so astonishing to, to understand 
and, and having you guys on the show is such a pleasure and, and such a, an opportunity for everybody to listen to because it's such an inspiring story, truly. I don't know if you guys ever spent the time to actually think down to really realize what you guys have done. And you guys should be really proud of yourself for achieving all that because not many people at your age, even from my generation, start as early as you guys have started. I wish I started that much earlier because I would be you know, that much more ahead. And so you, we've established the wholesale side, the, the fix and flip opportunities, your real estate investment portfolio that you have. Now you guys are branching off into contracting. Contracting is a huge component uh, of what you guys do. And you are now doing this for other people, right? Yeah. So you will actually go in there if somebody wanted to finish their basement or renovate their homes. Mm-hmm. What made you start working with other people and start getting into renovations for other people? Yeah, well, uh, it first started with us. Initially, when we were doing our fix and flips, we were hiring contractors, going through the interview process, trying to find someone that we like, give them the job. And we were finding that as we were going along, contractors were lacking certain qualities. So each contractor that we had, you know, first job would always go good. Second job, there would always be a problem. We would discuss all together. There's a problem with this guy. Let's get rid of him. Let's start that interview process again. And we would just find that it was a never-ending circle. So when you're looking at a, at a contractor, there's typically three things that you got to look for. It's quality, speed, and, uh, and price. And typically when you're looking for a contractor, they should have at least two or three of those. And we're finding that most of these contractors would only have one. You know, it was becoming extremely frustrating. Uh, so we sat down. We were just trying to, you know, problem solve. And we said, well, why don't we, you know, keep this in-house, bring this in-house. Also brought down our costs significantly because, you know, when you're hiring a contractor, contractors also have to put their their piece on top. So this also eliminated it. But we also found that the quality of the work increased significantly. So that's what we did. We hired some guys in-house. We have uh, three or four laborers, just, you know, it depends on uh, on how it goes. And that we manage everything in-house. So that's what we were doing. Everything was in-house now. We we're doing all the construction ourselves. We saw that the quality was great. The speed was fantastic. And we're like, okay, well, we're, we're starting to get a lot of compliments towards this. You know, your work's fantastic. We love the design of what you're doing. Like, you know, this is something that you should offer to, uh, to customers. So we're like, yeah, you know, this isn't a bad idea. So we started to explore that option. We've been doing it now for what? Three months. Maybe. Three, three, four months, picking up jobs. We're testing it out. It's going pretty well. I would say the first job we had was a little bit of a hiccup. Our first job that we did into, into contracting because... You know, it's a learning curve, right? You got to go in there. You're now you're not doing the work for yourself. You're doing the work for clients. So you're not reporting to yourself. You're reporting to the client and the client all the time is, you know, down your throat, texting you. They want this. They want that. They want this change. They want this upgraded. So it's a little bit of a change. But now we've adapted. We've changed our structure. And now we're doing contracting work for clients. So it's coming out pretty good. Yeah, I think the biggest, and I've been through this myself, right, as you know, and I think the biggest component for me when I was dealing with with a contractor that I hired is you come in there, they give you a price, they say that they're ready to start the job, Mm -hmm. right? And then, you know, the biggest component to me is timing. For sure. Because time for me is everything. And I don't have time to allow this job to sit there and wait for you to do it for two months. I need you in. And I need you out. I need you out. I ain't going to pay you, and I'm going to pay you a little bit more. And that's okay. I'm comfortable with that. But as long as you tell me you're in and you're out. And what I found was, and this was on numerous occasions, is that, all right, they come in, they start the job, they bring in their people, they got the house, have their tools ready to go. And then the next week, they're not there. The next week, they don't even show up. And I'm like, well, why aren't you at the house? Well, oh, we had to go back and finish another job. Yeah. No, that's not the agreement we made. 
I want you, when you start the job, you need to finish the job that we're in here right now because that was part of our commitment when we did the deal. And a lot of times I'm hearing, you know, a lot of things that I hear when I'm dealing with the contractors. Yeah, 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 no problem. Well, once we start, we're going to be here. We're going to we're going to do this all the time. And the next thing you know, they're never showing up again, yeah. right? They're coming back two weeks and now you're all frustrated. And, and there's uh, a lack of, uh, yeah, and, we're and that's that. what I miss. I think is missing in the contracting is what do you think is different about you when you start a job? Are you there on time and are you going to finish? For sure. And we're hearing, uh, I'm hearing that a lot with clients actually that, you know, they're hearing horror stories from their contractors. And it's sad because, you know, now when I go into a job, I have to reassure them that, you know, we're not like the other contractor they had and the experience they had won't be the same with us because essentially this business is, you know, your word is your bond. When I tell you something, I'm going to follow up with it. And that's what I think it is. You know, when it comes to contracting, if your word isn't your bond, you're not building that trust with that client. And, you know, this is the type of business where you want referrals, right? So that's something that you strive to. I find that customer satisfaction is number one. Now, when it comes to contracting, you know, I'll be straight up. Our price, we're definitely not the cheapest, but there's three things that I can guarantee if, you know, they were to hire us. Our craftsmanship is outstanding. If I give you a timeline, I stick to that timeline and you have access to me 24 hours. I mean, if you have a contractor and you're trying to get a hold of your contractor, how long does it take for, you know, a response or, you know, to come to some sort of agreement when, when we start something like I'm, I'm in it a hundred percent. So you have access to me 24 hours and I guarantee from start to finish we're there. I think that has been lacking in the service industry for some time now. I think so too. And one of the biggest components for my business and generating my success was the fact that when you called me, you called Nick from the OP team and there was a page that came to my phone. I didn't care where I was. Even if I was driving taking a that car, call, I was calling you yeah. back in 10 minutes. Yeah. And what really started to drive that is that, like, I started to realize is that a lot of the problem was a lot of realtors, when they were generating calls, you know, from people that wanted to go see properties, wouldn't even call them back sometimes within 24 hours. I'm like, you know, and they're, they're calling me. I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe you just called me that fast. I'm like, yeah, well, that's just normal for me, right? I'm just calling you back right away. And I'm the type of guy, like, I don't want to procrastinate on things, too. When I have to do something could be an OCD in me for sure, but I need to get it done right away, right? Just so I can move on to the next, you know, task or the next showing or the next client or the next yeah. prospect. And it was such a huge component that, you know, a lot of times I'm even calling trades to go and do one of my rental projects. And like, these guys are not even calling me back or like, Hey, I'm going to price your house. And they're like, oh, Hey, I can't be there today. I got to come next week to come and price it. I'm like, man, well, if I was like that to. within my business, I'd be Fair. broke. I wouldn't go. But you don't realize there's so many people that don't really understand that that's what the service industry is really, you know, striving for. And customer service. Customer service is, yep. is a huge component. Getting it done in a timely manner, right? The same thing in real estate. I, if I take on a listing, they don't want the house to be sitting on the market for 60 days, yep. even 30 days. It's a tough process to have people kind of invade your space and in your home. I don't know if you guys ever sold your own property before. <laughs> I have. But at the end of the day, it was invasive, right? I felt like people were just walking through my home and that's your home. Those are very big components of your business itself. I just want to kind of tap into real quick on this, the future of SLG for you guys. What are the next big steps for you guys? Have you guys thought this out yet? What your next big plans are? I think we're just going to continue to uh, to grow out the wholesaling business with, with the market kind of adjusting right now. We're just seeing how things go and not going too crazy into growth mode right now. But as the market gets better, we will definitely expand that business. And then I'd say 50% of our time is in that, in the wholesaling, a little bit of flips here and there. Um, the other 50%, we're putting a lot of effort into the construction business. 
we really want to grow that over the next, uh, say, three to five years. And we think, as Giacomo said, it's, it's a high referral business. And as we start to have more happy clients, we'll have a lot more business uh, in there specifically. Nice. I'll be quick on this. I have a client that ended up picking up one of your wholesale deals because a lot of times when you guys do pick up these properties, the OP team has an advantage in a sense where we get first access to a lot of your deals, right? And of course, we are looking to, you know, connect relationships with people with finding good products for them. And and now I'm sharing this with everybody. Unfortunately, I got to, you know, <laughs> show people my secrets of SLG, but it's okay. There's enough to go around for everybody. And, you know, there was some really good opportunities. So if you're a contractor and you're looking to start doing your own fix and flips, I think, you know, picking up or getting on our list for some of these fix and flip properties are really essential. And, and I can tell you, man, I had one contractor on one flip that he did in Aurora that we ended up selling him from one of your deals where, you know, he ended up picking up this deal at 860. I think he closed in for 910. He did about $40,000 in rental. This guy ended up making about $250,000 on one of these deals. And, you know, those yep. are some good returns on one deal. Do 10 of those a year, man. There's some nice income coming <laughs> in. So if anybody's interested, just reach out to, you can go to, I'm sure you can find you guys on your website, slgcapital.com. I'd say on the wholesale side, go to slgpropertydeals.ca. Yeah. That's how you'll find, uh, you'll, you can put in your information, be added to our list, slgcapital.ca if you want to reach out for any construction work. And our Instagram. And our Instagram. Yeah, yeah, yeah they are on Instagram. Uh, you're tagging it, S, uh, SLG, SLG Capital. Capital. Yeah. Yeah. SLG underscore capital. Yeah, yeah. Or just reach out to the OP team too as well. We can make that connection. We don't mind. Uh, whatever it may be. I just want to thank you guys for coming in on the show. This has been a pleasure. I'm hoping that you guys would take the opportunity to come back again because there's so much that we can start continuing to dig and dive in deep about. But Sal, Luke, Giacomo, SLG Capital, thank you guys, man. This has been a pleasure. Thanks for having, Thanks for us. having us. Thanks, Nick. No problem. Looking to buy or sell? Call a team you can trust. Don't believe me? Our Google reviews say it all. Put us on your lawn. Your house will be gone. Theopteam.com.